0: You sit at a desk. They sit at a desk. You have sales reports. They have book reports. You need supplies. They need supplies. Business is a lot like school. That's why your small business should take advantage of back-to-school deals at Staples. Now, Staples 1-inch 3-ring binders are $1.92. One-subject notebooks are just 25 cents, and two pocket poly folders are just 35 cents each. Make back-to-school your business at Staples. Install only while supplies last. Offer ends 9118, limit 30. No. He- Founder Lori LeBay, and I welcome you today. Hopefully, weather is great in your area. It looks like we're going to be having a few storms here in Minnesota but shouldn't be too bad. Anyways, I wanted to, um, again, just welcome everyone to the show and let you know how much we appreciate all of you and your your work in terms of helping get our show out there. You see, your likes, your clicks, and your shares have really expanded the knowledge base and allowed others who are dealing with dementia um, learn a little bit more about it through through others, through others like yourself, people who are caring for a loved one or maybe being diagnosed. Maybe they're a researcher, a singer, a songwriter, uh, a business uh, person or an advocate. Um, here on Alzheimer Speaks Radio, we are basically an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. And we also help companies expand their brand footprint by leveraging our platforms and our content to increase access um, to those people who are really searching out and looking for their services, products, and tools. I would encourage you to um, connect with me if you have something about dementia that you'd like to talk about and share. Uh, You can contact me through the radio program here, or you can go to AlzheimerSpeaks.com. There's a big contact button there. And... um, connect with me that way or on Facebook as well. So again, thank you so much for all you're doing. Your likes, your clicks, your shares are really quite powerful. Now, before we get started today with our show, I uh, always like to do a couple of shout outs. And so um, the first one I'm going to shout out to is the World Kindness USA organization. They just started here and I'm so excited about them. They are—they already had a soft launch in L.A. They're going to be doing another one in, I believe it's Maryland in September. Um, they're having a lot of interest. This is something that is in many other countries. And it's it's exciting to see. And I think it's something that we need so bad here. And you can go to worldkindnessusa.org to get more information. That's worldkindnessusa.org to get more information about them. Another company that is Um, dementia related is called the roberto app and if you're not familiar with it i would suggest that you check that out it is a video game basically that allows you to figure out and see how your brain is functioning and it's something that will collect data for you and really kind of show you kind of good days bad days and help you figure out maybe what you need to change in your lifestyle um Maybe it's more sleep, more exercise, less alcohol, um, eating better, all different types of things. You'll, you'll get some some insights, or maybe it's something more serious that you want to share with your doctor. So go to uh, the Roberto app. You can just go to alzheimerspeaks.com, go to our front page, and you can get an extended free trial there. To check out. Another organization that's doing something really cool, they're in beta testing, is called Care to Plan, which is going to be a national resource directory specifically for dementia. You can learn more about that, again, by going to Alzheimer's Speaks and then go to our resource tab. And you'll be able to see what it looks like, and you'll also be able to um, check it out and um, get involved with it if you'd like, if you're um, a business or maybe you are just uh, a family member who is looking for information for somebody to be able to do searches and so forth. So there's a lot of neat things that that are right around the corner. So let me get into our guest today. We are going to be talking with a new author who wrote the book, Nana Forgot My Name, and her name is uh, Sarah Bell, and she left the corporate world in early 2016 to care for her grandmother who had Alzheimer's she started um, working for herself in experience experiential marketing and customer service for small businesses and event coordinators and she now blogs about her experiences as a caregiver and recently like I said um, completed this book which is just rolling out in September and um Her whole goal here is to help kids make sense of Dementia. So welcome Sarah. How are you doing today? Thank you. I'm great. Thanks for having me Lori. Well, I'm excited to have you on the show today. Uh, you know I mentioned that your grandmother um, had dementia. Can you give our audience a little more background in terms of you know um, was it your grandmother who noticed these changes or was it family themselves who saw these changes starting to occur within within your Nana?
1: Yeah, I would say um, it was definitely family first. And when we um, started to notice the changes, we didn't necessarily put two and two together for several years. You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. And I think um, after her diagnosis was when we really started to um, connect the dots and realize that some of her, her signs um, appeared much earlier than her diagnosis. But she's had Alzheimer's for a little over 10 years now. Um, and we actually um, we encouraged my grandfather at the time, who was her caregiver, to um, take her to the doctor and um, to have these um, tests done, just the simple um, Alzheimer's test, you know, like hold up a pen and what is this for, and, um, in order to see her level of, of response. And it was, um, it was what we sought, um, which was
0: Alzheimer's okay um, and that's pretty typical a lot of times family and friends will notice things before before a person does um, Other times you know the person will notice it but doesn't really want to say anything because they don't want to lose their independence and, and things too so it's I, I'm glad that you you got her in. How did the family receive the information and how did she adjust to it once uh, once you got that diagnosis? Um, you know I think when
1: she first got it, she was probably a bit in denial um I recall I was young at the time, and I recall her um saying, "You know i'm not crazy like my mom because she associated the disease with um with someone who's lost their mind, and mm-hmm. so I think she she took it really hard she had uh, she had a hard time and ended up actually not wanting to talk about it much and not wanting to acknowledge it. She certainly didn't want to take any medications. Um, They did try some medications early on that um, she complained of of nausea and other side effects, and so she didn't want to take anything. Um, And as far as the rest of my family, I think we were pretty supportive, but we really didn't have any idea of what was to come or um, what we'd experience. And then over the years, while my grandfather cared for her, um, he was really good about hiding. I think the challenges that he experienced. He didn't. He didn't ask for help from us. He didn't. When we went to visit, he um, he never said anything that was alarming or that made us feel like he needed any more support. And then, of course, um, when he passed away, it was a, a bit sudden. He was diagnosed with um, stage four lung cancer in early 2016, and. And only lived for a couple months past his diagnosis. And when I took over care of my Nana, um, I think that's when we realized the extent of her Alzheimer's and probably what my grandfather had been dealing with for years on his own um, and really what he could have used some significant help with.
0: Yeah, my dad did the same thing, you know, with my mom. And my mom kind of reacted the same way as your grandma, um, even though she she knew in her heart and she would talk that she thought she had it, she was so afraid that people were going to look at her as crazy because she always said that her mom went crazy at the end. And, and I was really young when, <clears throat> when my grandma died, and I I thought it was from the morphine from the cancer. And who knows, mm-hmm. you know, because back then they didn't really talk about um Mm -hmm. They really didn't talk about um, Alzheimer's at all People were senile and things like that And so the verbiage, I think, was so derogatory The other thing I find interesting is um, that era Men and women just really stepped up They kept things private They, You know, you Mm -hmm. didn't air your dirty laundry And yet there's so many people that want to help and support And so I hope Mm -hmm. over time we see that change more And people feel more comfortable um, sharing what the what the true experience is like. So um mm-hmm. and that brings us right to you because you stepped in as her full-time um a care partner if i'm not mistaken is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And so what were some of the things that that you noticed when you were caring for your grandma? I noticed right away that the
1: only thing she knew for sure was her own name. So she knew her name was Barbara and um, other than that, every moment was different, and I I really, um, I couldn't tell you if it was going to be a good moment or if it was going to be a challenging moment, Um, but I realized that through caring for her that being present and and focused on what we're doing in the moment was vital to us uh, having a, at least a stressful day as possible. Um, In my first couple nights of of staying with her, I I had my bedroom set up with uh, a twin size bed next to mine that that she laid in. And um, she would get up throughout the night, probably 20 times during the night. And um, would hardly sleep at all because she was looking for um, who she called her daddy, which I, I associate with my, my grandfather. I think she called him daddy cause he was her, her kid's daddy. Um, but she would get up in the middle of the night looking for daddy. And, and in the first couple of days I realized, you know, maybe she thinks that he should be in bed with her. And so um, we changed her sleeping arrangement. So, she, so every night I went to bed in the same bed as her and she would sleep much more. She'd still wake up. She'd roll over and say, daddy, are you there? And I would just kind of respond. Yeah. And, and, um, hope that she would go back to sleep. And then if she would catch on, like if she was too awake and she noticed that I was not my, um, my grandfather, she would, she would say, well, we got to get up. You're not daddy. We got to get up and go find daddy. Um, so we spent a lot of time looking for people and for her babies and for, um, things that maybe aren't in existence anymore or um, but in her mind I knew that she thought it was the truth and she thought it was um, reality and so it was important for me to kind of just go with the flow of whatever she was telling me and um, and hope that we would come out on the other end like even if we were searching that I would somehow be able to redirect her um, and get her focus off of whatever we were searching for and onto some other activity that we were doing, like getting ice cream or um, going shopping or even just walking around at the local parks or zoos.
0: Oh, that's neat. It's it's nice that you were able to accommodate. I mean, just th- that small thing of sleeping together and having mm-hmm. that body, you know, next to her um, brought her brought her comfort. And I think so often we forget about the little things that we can do. To mm-hmm. make them more calm And comfortable and content and Not that it works every time But mm-hmm. it, it works a lot better Than trying to do corrective messers And re-engage them Or reorient them to You know, the space and time today Because uh, there's that mm-hmm. old saying You know, if you're going to argue Don't argue with the person with dementia Because you're never going to win because <laughs> You're not going to win, can. no yeah. I, I tried that
1: too, you know I there was um, there were several times where i myself as a caregiver found you know found frustration and and i wouldn't i would try my best not to take it out on my grandmother obviously i i didn't want to get upset with her but there were times where i'd just tell her the truth and and the blunt truth and i quickly realized that that was not the route to take because she not only did she think that i was lying but then she also thought that i was being um rude and mean and that I couldn't be like she called me her person and so she associated there was some familiarity with me she didn't know who I was um but she when we were with other people she would tell them that I was her person and um when I told her the truth like that my grandfather had passed away and or that she has Alzheimer's and that she needed to to listen to me she had a really hard time with that Um, and would just fight it. And then she, you know, there was a time where we were, we took a cross country road trip and we went to Oklahoma city to visit my sisters and on our way to, we ended up in Washington, DC living with my uncles. But we, when we stopped, um, and I told, I don't know what I told her, but I told her some portion of the truth and she ended up going outside and she was like, stop trying to murder me. And so she went down a whole different negative path. Um, and that was probably four months into caregiving when I was like, okay, no more, no more really telling the truth to Nana. This is going to be, you know, if I want to have a good time as a caregiver and as least a stressful time as possible, then then I need to just um, just let her think whatever whatever it is that's going on in her mind, and just try to redirect and refocus, and um, try to use you know humor and love and. And really compassionate caregiving to um, to our benefit.
0: Well, and I I love all those words redirect, refocus, um, you know, be um, loving and compassionate and and utilizing that humor for myself with my mom. I, there were times like you where I wasn't the most gracious daughter, you know, and you would try, mm-hmm. but sometimes you would just snap and. And, mm-hmm. you you know, you, you don't kind of like looking in the mirror and seeing yourself that way. And I, too, had to kind of redesign, how am I going to deal with this? Because, you know, with my mom, she would repeat herself maybe, you know, 40 times in, in 10 minutes. And I couldn't okay. always make a game out of it. I couldn't pretend that I just heard it the first time, like it was the first time for uh-huh. her. And sometimes I would snap or I would kind of do that corrective care and, you know, I came to the point of, all right, what do I really need her to know? And it was that I that I love her and, you know, I want her to be safe, happy, and pain-free. And so when I okay. focused on those three things versus is the story correct, you know, or is it relevant, okay. um, it just made everything so much easier. And I learned a lot about um about her and i hear that that others say the same thing that they get to explore their person that they're caring for um in a new light and it's it mm-hmm. really is um i don't know I, I think it it makes you feel really good to know that they're comfortable and that they feel loved and that they feel mm-hmm. safe and it sounds like that's exactly you know what you found as well. So your Nana is is your inspiration, basically for for this children's book that you you wrote. What age of child would you say that this is for? I'd say you know it's
1: written in rhyming, so um, there are some big words in it, like Alzheimer's, but I'd say it's probably for a six to seven year old age group, um, about the ages of my nieces and nephews, who really. Um, had a hard time understanding why Nana would come up and just reintroduce herself every single time that she saw them.
0: So, um, that's
1: the age group that I intended it for. I
0: think it, it will do
1: well across, um, most elementary age.
0: Yeah, I love the pictures. It's illustrated beautifully and um, nice and nice and colorful and things. Now there came a point where you felt that you just couldn't care for for her at home anymore. Mm-hmm. How did you um, How did you process that and then bring that up to the rest of the family? Mm-hmm. That was a, a
1: hard realization because I'm I'm a pretty stubborn person in general and. Um, when i am determined to do something i'll find a way to do it and i felt that way with caring for my nana um when i first took on the role of caregiver i got some pushback because i was working um in a corporate role at the time and i was in my late 20s and that a lot of people consider that kind of the prime of your life and they were like don't you can't give up your um your life for your nana and we can find someone else to take care of her and we can do um, we can we can figure it out along the way. And I said, you know what? No, nope, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it for as long as I can. Uh, my grandfather didn't want her in a nursing home. That's why he cared for her as long as he did, because you know he wasn't going to put her, place her anywhere else. He wouldn't even put her in an adult daycare center, even during the day, when we encouraged him um, to get some t- or to seek some sort of respite care. Um, he didn't want to do that. And so, for me. About a year into caregiving, um, we had plateaued. We'd gone through some some periods of time where it seems like um, she was improving—not necessarily improving cognitively, but um, improving with her sense of routine and familiarity with me, and that um, we I could accomplish certain tasks during the day. I had found an adult day center that um, would accept someone with Alzheimer's, which is sometimes hard to do, <laughs> um, and She had been going for maybe three to four hours a day, and then um, about a year into it, we had a really rough day, and I don't remember the specifics of the day, only the feeling in the pit of my stomach that, okay, this isn't as rough as it gets, and if this isn't as rough as it gets, then when will it get worse, and will I honestly be able to care for her and for myself? Um, and my answer was no, like if it, when it gets worse, A, I don't know when it's going to get worse. And, but I do know that when it gets worse than this, I won't be able to handle it on my own or with the support of my family. I was very supported um, by my uncles and by my, my parents and my other family members. Um, but it, it was, um, it was just that, I don't know how to explain it other than the gut feeling of, um, of not, of what happens when I am not able to care for her. And so I was very honest with uh, my uncles about it. And at the time we lived with them. And so it was easy for them to understand because they saw a lot of it and they experienced it, um, right there alongside with me. And so we began the the hunt for a, a perfect home for my Nana and, Um, Because my papa didn't want her in a nursing home, I had a lot of um, unease about placing her somewhere, and so I went on a bunch of tours. I went to um, several assisted assisted living facilities and places that had memory care, and I quickly realized that in many places, memory care is an afterthought. It's not necessarily what they focus on. It's what they have developed when they've had a group of residents that they you know, later found needed memory care. And so the homes were nothing like what I imagined for my Nana. Um, and I made a very specific list of of things that I wanted in her ideal home. I wanted it to be open. I wanted her caregivers to be friendly. I wanted it to be very engaging. Um, my Nana likes to be on the move and on the go. I didn't want her to feel trapped in a room or in a house. And, Fortunately, I found it in a facility um, in our hometown in San Diego, California, and it was everything I could have wanted and more, and so um, I did a a phone interview with them, and I knew just from looking at their website um, that they would have the level of care that we wanted for her, and then when I got back and we did the tour with her, I just fell in love with it, and I said, this is definitely the place for my Nana, Um, their caregivers work in shifts instead of 24 seven, like myself, they have eight hour shifts. And so they come back and they're refreshed and they're, um, they're not so um, personally attached to the person with, with Alzheimer's or dementia. And so they can provide a really um, level-headed caregiving approach, I guess. And they keep her so engaged. They take her on field trips, they feed her breakfast, lunch and dinner, and they have, um, just such a great, great facility and a great atmosphere, um, and really, it was, it was more than I could have ever um, asked for and hoped for in a place for my Nana. That's nice.
0: Was it a large community or was it a small, uh, it, like group home? It's called Sunshine Care, and they
1: actually have a group of homes. It's like in a, it's set up in a cul-de-sac and they have some single family homes that they've, um, that they've converted. And they have a larger facility, which is what my Nana's in a facility type where, um, where there's, you know, 24 or 25 beds in the facility. And she, she has a roommate that has a similar level of, um, of dementia as her. And, um, and they just, they include everyone from like what they call they do it in levels of of dementia so if you have like an early stage dementia or if you need um less assistance you would live in one of the smaller single family homes with you know maybe you bring your dog or um your other pets and they will assist you with those sorts of things and then um, all the way up until end of life so based on the level that you're at determines like where you're living in their community
0: Oh that sounds really neat I like that um, Having kind of that end of End of the cul-de-sac And kind of uh, Smaller housing options But yet Being connected Um, That that is wonderful And I I love the fact That you took the time To tour So often Many people will just wait Until a crisis hits And then you don't have any choice And you really Sounds like you really Put a lot of thought Into what will work And what isn't going to work And you really And looked at what does your, what does your Nana need? You know, what's going to make her happy and and be a good match? Now, in terms of deciding that, was it, was it easy to get the rest of the family on board after you kind of did all your homework and things?
1: Yeah, I think so. Everyone was a little uneasy with it at first because anytime you're going to place, your loved one, it, it like, it almost feels like you're jailing them. Um, but we were very clear with the facility that um, we chose that we wanted her to be able to um, go out. Like her kids can go and there's a select people on, on like her list that can go and pick her up and take her to lunch if they want to, and then bring her back. Um, which is I think unusual for memory care. A lot of places they said, you know, you need to, once they're here, they're here, and you can come and visit, but you you have limited visiting hours. And with this place, uh, we can pretty much go around the clock whenever we want to. There's always caregivers on site. There's always people that are awake. And if I wanted to go visit her in the middle of the night, I could go visit her in the middle of the night. And that was important to us. We have, um, you know, free access to my Nana, if you will. She's not, She's not stuck there. She doesn't have to stay there. Um, we, you know, we've tried to take her out several times and we've realized that it might be easier for us to just go and visit and not necessarily take her on an adventure because when we bring her back, she doesn't always want to, um, stay, but when she's in her routine, um, it really works well. So it was easy for them to, to get on board. I think once they realized that, and they knew that it was no easy feat to take care of her, so, um. Our family's really big. My Nana and Papa adopted 16 kids after they gave birth to four. So there's 20 people that call her mom, and um, so, so it was a lot of coordination. But at the same time, i um, not because they're they're all super supportive too, and they just want what's best for her.
0: At the end wow. Of the day. Well, that that's 20, 20 kids. That's a lot of yeah. a lot of kids and a lot of coordination. Because you hear the struggles yeah. sometimes that families have getting everybody on the same page. But um, it sure sounds like she was very well loved, and and I can see where the struggle would come to when you promised your grandpa you wouldn't do that. And I think most families go through that. You know, we we make a commitment when things are different, and then when they change, we still hold ourselves to that. Not. You know, saying, "Well, we didn't say that when circumstances had changed and and things." So, mm-hmm. I you know, I give you kudos for for realizing that and and really finding the best the best care uh, for her um, for the symptoms that she's she's experiencing. And I I love how you you guys worked with the community instead of just accepting the rules. You know, you said, "Hey, this is what we need." And I think a lot of times people don't. Don't ask um, for what mm-hmm. it is they want They just think the rules are hard and fast And they're not going to change But many places will work with you If you let them know what it is you need And, and why And mm-hmm. um, and so um, kudos to you How did you adjust? Because that's a big thing Going from caring for somebody 24-7 To all of a sudden their place mm-hmm. How did How did you adjust in that? um
1: I I had a bit of a hard time but at the same time while I was caring for her I was working for myself and so I was up in the early morning hours before she'd awake and and then I'd work again late at night um just to try to make make ends meet for my own bills and so I had stayed busy um when I stopped caring for her I kept uh, working for my clients, and I actually had a client that offered me a full-time position um, in Minneapolis. So I relocated. Um, it worked out. The timing worked out great that I relocated, and I, I thought I wanted a corporate um, a corporate role again, and and I was in that role for about a year. And then in, in May of this year, um, I actually was laid off. And so I have refocused my efforts into working for myself again and, and realized that at the end of the day, that's what I wanted. Um, but in order to kind of give myself a mental and emotional break, I took that corporate position, um, to take my mind off of the fact that I wasn't caring for my Nana anymore and that so much was going to change. It was easier for me to, to relocate and, and focus on work than it was to, to really look at, um, at the changes that were happening. So that's kind of how I used, not avoidance, but a bit of avoidance or distraction uh,
0: to help myself get through it, yep, we'll call it redirection there for a little while, yes. yeah <laughs> and and yes. you know i mean it works it works for all of us in life and mm-hmm. and sometimes you just have to jump back in and and get going because if you just sit and dwell mm-hmm. on it, um you end up spinning sometimes and and life does does move on and forward and you know, you get into mm-hmm. that um, corporate world or old routines again, I think your your body and your mind starts to feel a little bit more normal again in okay. terms of, of what life looks like for 99% of the population out there. And, right. Because and, I know for me, when I was doing it, um, people didn't really understand what it took um, to care for somebody. You know, it's just can't you just do a normal job? And it's like, you no, know, it's not like that. You don't get a break. You know, you just, you're okay. always, I would always, laugh always, always, always.
1: Like, oh. mm-hmm. I would laugh. They would tell me you have such a big heart. And I'm thinking you don't understand the necessity of the caregiving role of the family caregiving role. Um, and of course I have a big heart. Like I love my Nana very much, but there was a need and I was filling that need for my family and, um, and I didn't want to be a twenty a twenty four seven caregiver for life. That's just, I I don't know that um, you know. It made me reconsider whether or not I wanted children because taking care of my nana was so um, was so challenging for me. And I thought, okay, she's you know at, at the level of Alzheimer's that she's at, she's kind of like a, a four or five year old kid in in a lot of her physical needs. She needs me to help her brush her teeth, or get changed, or go to the bathroom, or um, she has accidents, or she's um, she can't she can't take care of herself in that way, and so um, I I would kind of giggle when people didn't understand, and they'd say, "You have such a big heart. You must be so sweet and so um, like so loving." <laughs> I'd be like, "Well, like, we have to. Like, someone has to do it, and I just I want to do my best, um, which mm-hmm. is great. And of course, I love my nana and try to take care of her as best as possible, um, but it's not always." that you know, the caregiver just has a huge heart. Sometimes it's a need and, and then they need help too. <laughs> and it's hard exactly. to find and hard to ask for.
0: Exactly. How how did she um adjust to her new home?
1: It took a little while, so um, the the facility had some recommendations and where we would take her down um, for the first couple of days. We just took her down on a tour, and we would leave her for a couple hours because she had gone to an adult day center, um, and when I was acquainting her at, with the adult day center, she um, she also could only stay for like an hour or two at first, and then each day we'd kind of increase it to get her familiar with the space and, and to make sure that she could stay for, um, first ended up three to four hours. And so we did kind of the same thing when we introduced her to um, to Sunshine Care. And I think it worked pretty well. Um, for the first few times, like she would, if I came down, um, if I left, she'd be like, where are you going? When are you coming back? Um, and then as soon as she'd see me walk through the door, she was ready to go. like She was like, okay, we're leaving. Um Thank you. I've been waiting for you. And so, the caregivers and I—they would kind of giggle because they were like, "She doesn't like. She just recognizes you. <laughs> she doesn't want to stay." Um, but I—I I think that with time, it just got easier for her to um, to stay longer periods of time. The first night was was pretty tough, and they were very open with me. And um, that's another thing that I love about her home is that they call me or they text me um, and they would tell me when she was having a rough night or they would tell me, you know, she's been up all night and she's been looking for her baby. And I would tell them, well, there's a little stuffed animal in her drawer. Go get that out. And it purrs and give that to her. And she likes, sometimes she calls that her baby. So that could be what she's looking for, or it'll at least take her attention away from it. Um, And then I think it helped her adjust um, adjust to it as best as possible. Um, to where now I think she feels like she's at home. I visited her a few times since I've moved to Minneapolis. I've gone back to San Diego. And, um, each time that I've gone back, she seems more and more at home and where she's supposed to be. Um, she kind of makes friends with everyone. They dance a lot. And she, we always tease that my Nana finds a new boyfriend, um, a new boyfriend all the time there because she always is dancing with a new man and she she kind of totes him around and holds his hand and then um, she'll tell us that, that that's her her man. So I think she's mm. really objected to it very well.
0: Oh, that's good. That's good. My mom was a real social butterfly too, <laughs> like that and handsome. <laughs> um, it was just uh, really nice to see. Now, is there a lot of a family out of out of the 20 that live in in the California area for her to yeah, be able to visit? Yeah, probably
1: with? about yeah, probably about half are still there, and um, and the rest will come and visit. Um, but that's why it was important for us to keep her. You know, because with me, I was very mobile and I've lived around the U.S. I was a flight attendant and um, and I've kind of, I've traveled since I was 18 years old, just state to state. And so it was easy for me to say, okay, come on, Nana, let's get in the car and let's move to Washington, DC. Um, And that's, but we knew that ultimately we wanted her to be back at home in San Diego. Um, It was just, it would be easier for our family. It's where um, my grandfather is buried and it's also where all of her um, her friends and loved ones really are
0: It's so nice that this uh, sunshine care is is um, so communicative with with you and the family mm-hmm. and um really seems to know you know what her needs are and and so mm-hmm. forth so what brought you to the the space of wanting to write the book?
1: I really wanted to help other millennial caregivers um, was my first priority. I I wanted to help other millennial caregivers who are kind of sandwich in the middle and they are caring for their parents or their grandparents. And they also have children of their own that they're raising. And so I I couldn't imagine, you know, I'm 30 now and I can't imagine having kids of my own and also trying to care for my Nana. And I've met so many of my peers that are around my same age or up into their um, mid-40s that have kids still that they're raising and then they're caring for their, their parent or their grandparent and they have a really hard time explaining to their kids what Alzheimer's is and why their loved one is doing things that they're doing. And so I, since I used humor so much with um, caring for my Nana, I just wanted, um, I wanted to to use it to help others. And so I wrote a poem originally for um, my nieces and nephews and I kind of shared it with my family and they laughed and I was encouraged to turn it into a children's book. So I expanded on it a little bit and then got it illustrated um, so that I could share it with others uh, who might be dealing with the same sorts of things. You know, every person with Alzheimer's has very different um, signs and symptoms and things that they get caught up on, but I think the underlying feelings are still the same. And so I tried to, use those um, kind of humorous symbolism in, throughout my poem to explain those feelings. Are you self-publishing? I and, am and how did self-publishing.
0: You... Okay, and how did you find that process? I think everybody thinks it's um, easy to write a book. and yeah. <laughs> It was challenging. Um, it's cost uh,
1: several thousand dollars so far, and the book's going to be printed in September, so um, that'll be Another couple of thousand dollars, I'm sure. By the time it's all done, um, it's it's a lot more expensive than people realize. Uh, especially if you work with a, a professional illustrator like I did. Um, when you commission an artist to do that kind of work, it's not um, it's not always cheap, and it is hard because you're creating your own deadlines, and then you also are responsible for your own um, your own marketing. So I have a a pretty strong network, but I think when I, um, I did my sale I had a ton of interest and I probably sold two copies in the first day. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, uh, you know, when you're in it for the long haul, to me, the two copies, it doesn't matter. As long as, um, those people enjoy the book. I don't, I, I'm not seeking to be a millionaire from Nana forgot my name, but it is definitely, uh, not an easy process. And it's, it's, um, I mean, really an investment. And to me, it was just my way to, um, to work through what I was experiencing and then turn it into something useful for the next person.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I appreciate that. I, like I said, I think a lot of people think writing a book is an easy process and it's not, I know, I know I've started on a couple and I've just kind of stalled out because it's, it's time mm-hmm. consuming and, and it's expensive both. And um, mm-hmm. it's, it, it, like you said, the deadlines. The there's just so much more to it than you would ever ever imagine. Mm-hmm. And one of these days, I'll get to it when, it when it's the right time yeah. for me. But
1: I always recommend to people. I was a, a part. I contributed to a chapter book. It was a collaborative chapter book, and um, it was. Sponsored by a publisher, but I I paid I want to say five or six hundred dollars to participate to get my chapter into the book, and that was the smoothest experience that I've had with publishing, um, because it wasn't quite self-publishing, but it all I had to do was focus on the writing, and mm-hmm. and then with my minimal investment I had access to copies of my book for um, for a wholesale rate, and I could turn around and sell it for what I wanted to sell it, um, so it was much less investment and. Um, a little bit more guided with, you know, publisher deadlines that I had to meet and um, and requirements for my chapter. There were there were pretty strict guidelines for um, how many words we could write, et cetera. And that is what I recommend to people who are just looking into getting um, getting started as a published author. And then when they're ready to like once they've experienced that, they can kind of use their the network that they've created because then all of a sudden you're introduced to 20 or so other authors. Um, and several of them have published elsewhere. And you're also introduced to a publisher who has access to, um,
0: to, all
1: kinds of resources for someone who's
0: seeking to help publish someday. Yeah, I agree. Doing like a, a chapter is that's a breeze, you know, because it's just like writing mm-hmm. an article. Like you said, they have all the guidelines. Right. You don't have to think about formatting and and timelines other right. than just yourself. But when you've got all those other things in place, it's it can be daunting, um, especially mm-hmm. when you're not familiar with it or you're not sure what the rules even should be. You know, if you're right. if you're self-publishing and and uh, you know, I've seen some books come out where you know it's a beautiful book, but they they didn't put their margins in correctly. You know, and mm-hmm. stuff. So. It's, um, yeah, it is, it's a lot more than, than what people would think. But I think it's great that you decided to, to share your, your experience with others and kind of your words of wisdom. What, what pieces of advice would you share with other care partners out there? Um,
1: the main piece of advice that I tell any caregiver that I meet is when you need help, find it. Get it. There, There is help out there. There are resources available. Um, sometimes you have to be resourceful, but sometimes it's as simple as as calling your county that you live in and asking for a caseworker. That's what I did when I first got started. I said, you know what? I have no idea what I'm doing, and I don't know what I don't know. I don't know what I need help with, um, and I called the county, and I said, I'm taking care of my nana, and um she's in a safe environment and she's in a healthy environment, but I need a caseworker because I need someone who can help me navigate the system. And it's really, really um, so vital to a caregiver's success and their own self care too, to have that help um, and rest that care when they need it. You know, caring for someone 24 seven is exhausting and um, it's easy for people to say, you know, why don't you take a break? But even having a loved one watch her for a couple of hours was hard for us. And um, it wasn't until I truly got the help that I needed, like getting her enrolled in an adult day center that would accept someone with Alzheimer's um, and then all the way down to eventually finding a long-term care facility that could be her new home. Um, Those sorts of things, like it's hard to, it's hard to navigate the system Mm -hmm. when you're caregiving and so it's important to um, to seek help when you need it.
0: Yeah. Well, and a lot of times, too, and I think, you know, that could be why your grandfather or my dad didn't reach out because, you know, then it's this whole educational process of what the needs are and why mm-hmm. you do what you do. And that's exhausting, too, when you're already mm-hmm. tired to try to retrain somebody else in. But there is a lot of help out there. But I, I think so often we don't even know what to ask. For. We just know we need right. help. And so going to a professional, somebody who's in the industry where that's their mm-hmm. specialty, you know, that's why they're there um, to, mm-hmm. to give us that hand and, and to be able to to guide us. I think those are really wise, wise words. And I know it's hard sometimes to reach out or we think that we don't have the time, but in the long haul, it'll save you time. And it will save you mm-hmm. a lot of energy, yeah, cool. too. And did you ever do any, like, support groups at all for yourself or, or for your I Nana? Did. I
1: did. Um, actually,
0: I didn't do support groups when I was
1: a caregiver because I was so busy being 24-7 caregiver that I, I didn't find the time for it. And um, I actually didn't join a support group until I transitioned out of being full-time caregiver, and that's when when I realized, okay, this is a big change, and maybe I do want to um, go and talk about it with other people who've been through it, and I found um, the Young Champs group here in Minneapolis. It's um, associated with the Alzheimer's Association, and um, they're an advocacy leg of that that is specifically focused on millennial caregivers, and they have chapters all across the U.S., Um, but I found that their their group is so supportive of one another and there are some people who are still um, full-time caregivers that are involved in it and then others whose um, parents or grandparents have passed from alzheimer's or dementia and um and then others who are kind of like me which is caregivers from a distance like their loved one is now placed in a home and so they don't have to be a 24-7 caregiver but they're still um, involved in the process and Mm -hmm. that has been incredibly helpful to me too um just to help really go through um, my own emotions around caregiving and transitioning
0: out of um, full-time caregiver. Well, that's great, and you know when you're typically when you're transitioning out, too, you can help somebody who's still in because you've been there and you've right. done that. And I think that's one of the things that we forget about sometimes is in life we're always going to be ten steps ahead of somebody else and ten steps behind somebody else. And so uh-huh. being able to have that honest discussion and knowing that we're all here to serve a purpose and and can really um, collaborate and and help one another out in different in different okay. fashions and there's no there's no right or wrong you know it's just about making the world a better a better place which i think your book will do for for many people so i thank you for thank spending you. the time with us any any other uh, words of wisdom that you'd like to pass on maybe to someone who <laughs> is thinking that they uh might be having some symptoms of of a form of dementia um it's- Oh, if you're thinking that
1: you're having some symptoms of a form of dementia, um, I'd say it's very important to share that with your loved ones or your support system. Um, your friends and family
0: can can help you more than you may think. Right. And then um, for people to contact you, you have a blog, uh, mynanaskeeper.com. Again, that's mynanaskeeper.com. Yes. Keeper.com. You're also on social media, uh, it looks like on Twitter, as Sarah Ann Bell. And then my, Nana, uh, Nana's, and then Keeper, you have uh, KPR. It's on Instagram and Facebook. Great. Well, thank you again so much for spending time with us. I, I look forward to your Formal launch of your book Uh, Nana Forgot My Name Again we've been speaking with uh, Author Sarah Bell And wrapping up here I'm just going to give A shout out to a couple Other organizations one is The Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation that is located in Arizona Uh, but people Connect with them all around the world They are a company that Focuses on holistic approaches So if you're looking at diet and Exercise and meditation They're really a place that you are going to want to go check out. I also highly recommend um, if you are uh, diagnosed with dementia or if you're caring for a loved one or a client with dementia that you check into um, participating possibly in a memory cafe in your area. We now have over 500 of them in the U.S. and you can go to memorycafedirectory.com That's MemoryCafeDirectory.com. And two last that I'm going to shout out to is the Purple Table Reservations. If you go to PurpleTables.com, you can find information to see if there is a restaurant in your area that has been um, educated and who has a special program in dealing with uh, serving those who have dementia or maybe it's autism or post-traumatic stress. Uh, But they have an app that's pretty cool. They're in the process of trying to onboard more restaurants. So if you have any connections, um, please pass purpletables.com on to them. And then last, I just have to give a shout-out to uh, Tammy and Kathy from the Silver Dawn Training Institute that equips professionals and loved ones with a new way to communicate with individuals, and they call it introspective improv. They go by the name of Dementia Raw. That's how a lot of people uh, know them. I just took their 2 days certified dementia communication specialist training course uh, here in uh, the beginning of August, and it was absolutely fabulous. I would highly recommend it. Um, you can check them out at DementiaRaw.com or if you want to see specific information on that training course, go to CDCSDementiaRaw.com That's raw. C-d-c-s-dementia-raw. Dot com, And again, know that Alzheimer's Speaks has all kinds of platforms for you, so you can just check us out at alzheimerspeaks.com. And don't forget to go to our Initiatives and Projects page where you'll find out information about screening movies, about uh, memory cafes, about the Purple Angel um, Project, and so many others. Have a blessed week. Bye now.